0: Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 11 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On this episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming Tony Dunst. With close to $4 million in career tournament or earnings, Tony has two World Series of Poker bracelets, and a World Poker Tour main event title in his trophy case. Away from the felt, he's best known as the co-lead commentator for the WPT. A gentleman both at and away from the felt, Tony, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Cards Jet. I'm really happy to be speaking with you. Thanks for having me on today, Robbie. How you doing? I'm doing all right, how about you? You doing all right? I am, yeah, I'm,
1: uh, I'm here in Vegas. Uh, yeah. where I live. And uh, it's we were talking about this before, you know it's like the first day in six months that it's finally cooled down. It's finally yeah. like a cold day in Vegas after a summer that's a whole bunch of like one fifteen one eighteen. I don't know you might use Celsius over there, and I don't even know how high that converts, but it's like fifty degrees or something. so um
0: it's been it's pretty noticeable, I guess you say. Yeah, here in Israel, it's like the same temperature but with added humidity. So I always pr- prefer the the dry, uh, the dry heat of Vegas. But it's good to you know get a little, get a little bit of a changing of the seasons. So uh, I hear you with the good lower temperatures, and you're looking quite comfortable today. So that's a good thing. Um Obviously, you've been around in the poker world long enough that most most folks already know you got your start online. Uh, that's where you made your name for yourself, and after that, you transitioned more into live poker, but obviously, with the whole pandemic going on, it really pushed people back online again. Um, this past summer, you won your second WSOP bracelet, congratulations, um, at the uh, Online Summer Series. Um, how did I'm wondering, how did the win feel for you online versus winning the first bracelet that you had uh, live, you know, at the Rio? Um, you yeah, know, it's funny.
1: The, winning this big one online felt a little more meaningful for me, because even even though it was a second as opposed to a first. And every, everybody always wants to get their first, don't get me wrong. Um, but I came up online. I've been playing online forever. I never really had like a truly big kind of what felt like, you know, like a breakthrough or a six-figure score online, despite basically doing it for almost 20 years or something, playing a whole bunch of Sundays where you're, you know, you're out there swinging at that size of a score um and so to finally get one was just super satisfying Just like it really it felt like something i had been chasing for so long i kind of hit whereas the first one that i won live it was almost like after i had given up the pursuit of (laughs) trying to grind my my face off every summer and prioritize living life that's actually what i wanted like i did 10 straight years of come out to the world series play all the hold'em events that i could or felt that i belonged in Right. Uh I come up empty, and then one summer I was like, screw it, I'm going to Europe, you know? And then like <laughs> showed up with like a week left in the World series and just drilled a bracelet right before the main. You know? right. like, maximum late-wrenching the train. It just didn't really feel too uh, earned the first way time around,
0: I guess you'd say. So. so so, you're saying this is more satisfying, that it's sort of, I guess you never really lost your passion for playing online, but th- did this bracelet win... Uh, give you, oh, I think uh, your your video disappeared. There you are. There we cool. go. There go. Um, uh, all good. Uh, did good. Did this bracelet win sort of like, I don't know, add some fuel to the fire to like keep grinding even harder online?
1: It was more like there had been a really strong fuel for about 18 months leading up to that, where... Uh, at that time, I kind of looked at my hand and mom results, looked at my recent poker results and was like, wow, I've, I've really fallen off. Like I've let myself fall off in terms of sharpness of the game and I need to reapply myself and get back to studying on a regular basis and asking a lot of questions and kind of like humbling myself to the process. And then seeing that we were going to have this opportunity to play a ton of poker online from, uh, you know, our homes during the pandemic, I was like, okay, cool. You know, the, this work won't go to waste i'll still have an opportunity to materialize something big if i can and uh yeah like during that whole series uh my my life was poker and i don't mean just playing like i would just wake up in the morning you know get some exercise and then immediately start studying take a little bit of a break before we played, play all night and you know try and bug my friends to review hands with me and so if i it just kind of felt like a lot of uh effort had paid off Mm -hmm. But it's tricky in poker, man. There's so much luck involved. Like, you
0: know, like, of course. I can never really be too certain. Of course, and when you're talking about, you know, 10 summers at the Rio, you know, and then finally you drill one, like that's obviously points to, hey, there's variance, uh, just like in life as well, for sure. Um, I was wondering, actually, you pointed out that you looked at your hand in Mob and that sort of got your fire going. Is it looking at your own results and saying, I want to be doing better? Or is it sort of like looking around saying, okay, well, this guy just got a bracelet and this guy just got another high score. I want to keep up, you know, with my peers, which one, which way was it that uh, motivated you more?
1: Uh, I never felt too much of a, like, compare myself to my peers level of competition because how to put it, it, the variance is enormous. Like I said earlier in poker, so like when people are winning things, Sometimes it's because they're a great player. Sometimes it's because they're running especially hot during a short period. Mostly I just root for the people that I like and know to be nice people. Um, yeah. So when it comes to the fuel to push myself to study, it's more like looking at my own results and saying, you know, am I a- still able to cut it at a high level? And if I'm going to be on the World Poker Tour talking about the game as the sort of expert analyst side of the coin alongside Vince and the humor that he brings,
0: um, I really feel like I need to be able to walk the walk. For sure, that's oh, a, it's a really insightful comment and of course we're gonna be doing plenty of talk about your role with the WPT later. Um, about uh, specifically the WPT, specifically, you know, we're talking about online poker, and for people living in the States, the options for playing real money poker are limited, um, unless you're living in Nevada, like yourself, or New Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania. But the WPT, they do have something called Club WPT. And I imagine out there in the cards chat, community, uh, our community, um, there may be some people who are unfamiliar with what Club WPT is, and they may not realize that they have an option, a great option, to play uh, online poker uh, through that platform. If you want to tell us a little bit about that? That's right. Club WPT, as opposed to being
1: a full-blown real money poker site, is a subscription site where there are two levels of membership uh, one at about 25 and one at about 150 and you're playing for a hundred thousand dollars in cash and prizes including seats to live WPTs and a great aspect to club WPT is that it's widely available in the United States and, and as well as some other countries um, although a few states have conditions where you know you it's either unavailable or you have to take one of every three months off or something like that um okay. for the most part club WPT is widely available in the United States where our options for online poker can be pretty limited so uh and, and we've just got a great thing going on there with myself and all the other members of the WPT talents streaming our club WPT sessions on the WPT twitch channel you know uh all week, not quite all week. We do four days a week, but um, you know, just kind of every single week, and really built up a cool community of people who love poker, love hanging out and talking. In my case, you know, like sports or gambling, or uh, even at, you know, times politics, betting on all kinds of crazy prop bets. Anything mm-hmm. we can get in there, like it's it's just a nice network to have.
0: That's awesome, and plus those six-figure prize pool, hundred thousand bucks. You know, uh, you know, still competing for some some good money there. Um, you know, back in the day when you started of course you were known as Bond 18 but now on wsop.com where you want your bracelet your panoramic so why it's the switch what where did that name uh, sort of come from it's super it's a super dumb story i was living in panorama
1: <laughs> tower uh, at the time that I created the screen name, uh-huh. and it's like you know if they're asking you to create a, a name, and I like look up from my computer and look out a window, and I'm like, the is. first thing you
0: see in front of your face, right? Um, so. Out. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I, I heard actually there's a lot of professional poker players living in the Panorama Towers. Uh, you're still there now or, or not anymore? No, I, I have a house in Vegas now, but nice. for,
1: you know, for the entire existence of the Panorama Towers in Vegas, it's been home to probably you know, more poker players at any given time than any right. other building, any other subdivision,
0: anything wow. like that. Are there, are there like sort of home games that go on among the pros over there?
1: Uh, there probably are. I feel like there's, there was more so in the past um, when there was a large amount of people living in the building. But like, I'm also, I'm not really the cash game guy, you know, uh-huh. I'm not really part of, like I, I, you know, here and there showing up to like the more home game, private game scene. But it's not my world
0: within poker. And so, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't really tell you. Okay. That's fair. When, when you do play cash on occasion, do you have a particularly favorite room to play at uh, in the city or some favorite stakes? It's just sort of like keep your skills sharp, mix it up and, and meet people or it's like, you know, let's grind a little and, and sharpen my game. Uh, For a while, it was very much grinding to, you know, try and make
1: your make a living at it, make some decent money and then also improve my game. Now, if I'm going to play cash, it's probably a mix of wanting like a social outlet for a session um or you know seeing a particularly good game at mm-hmm. the stakes that are interesting for me but but like because i don't play cash on a regular basis i really feel against the other regs be at a pretty decent disadvantage mm-hmm. uh, they're just going to get a lot of the details right that i'm not mm-hmm. and so for me now if i'm going to play cash yeah like i said probably just because you know i walked through the aria poker room i walked through you know Bellagio win whatever it was, and I looked at a table and I was like, "That's the lineup." Like, oh, I mean, I even have cash on me. Like, let's go. You know, <laughs> that's probably how
0: I end up in it now. Of those three, do you have a particular uh, particular favorite place to play? Uh, I'd probably say Aria. I've just spent so much
1: time there over the years. I know the staff pretty well. Sure. Uh, we at the WPT have held. Uh, major events at aria for a number of years now it's just a beautiful property super central in las vegas but um yeah you know those those three i've spent a lot of good time and uh you know just like props to win for amping up their tournament schedule and their you know investment in building a poker room in the tournaments that they provide
0: um you know that it's it's pretty cool room for sure For sure. And and I've got to give the shout out to uh, the poker boss, Sean McCormick, of ARIA, a former guest here on the Cards Chat Podcast. And a reminder to everyone out there either watching or listening, of course, uh, this is episode number 11, but that means 10 great other episodes you guys can go ahead and listen to. Um, Of course, you didn't always live in Las Vegas. Um, Do you have uh, perhaps a favorite place to live or that you've visited uh, over your professional poker career? Uh, it would be
1: Melbourne, Australia to me. I first went down there for the Aussie Millions when it was like my break-in event getting started in the poker world. And I was just like, you know, a 19, 20-year-old kid just, mm-hmm. just excited to see it all. Uh, and then I spent like four or five years living in Australia, a lot of it living directly across the street from Crown Casino. Nice. Uh, so same kind of thing where I just have a ton of memories there. And, you know, what's cool about Crown Casino is that it's a really nice property in the dead heart of... Of a fun city to be in. Oftentimes, casinos, even if they're nice ones, can be pretty well removed from the heart of a city. You know, they're like, okay, well, we've got a casino here. It's just thirty minutes outside of town, right? Right. Um, whereas Crown is just like boom, right in the middle, like directly across the river from the entire central business district. A short walk from all the sports that go on during the same time of the tournament. So it's just like a really cool experience down there.
0: Well, it's definitely on my bucket list to, to visit someday. I'm sure some of our members in the Cards Chat forums are also sort of saying the same thing. Um, and it's nice that Australia still welcomes you back. I believe you have an interesting uh, story about, uh, about the overstaying one's visa, I believe, right?
1: Yeah, I know I did. I overstayed <laughs> a student visa back when I was too young to realize that visas were a thing that you had to renew. <laughs> <laughs> And the immigration department was not pleased. So, yeah, you know, it took a few years worth of, uh, I mean, like, first I had to to leave the country and was basically given, like, you know, a full blown ban for a few years. Oh, wow. Like, not like, you know, you're banned for life kind of thing. They're just like, you broke the rules, you're banned for three years, and then you can apply during this and that, you know, after it runs out. You know, I ended up using an immigration lawyer. to Get that reduced, maybe like eighteen months or something. Sure, um, um, and now yeah. everything's everything's cool when I go when I go back and forth now. And well, that this is of course pre pandemic. You know, they've, they've sure. been one of the strictest in all of this in terms of how they've uh, approached the virus. But right. um, but yeah, you know, in, in normal times, it's now pretty smooth to get in and out of Australia because they've put everything online you know for the most part like before you ever reach the airport you've completed most of the paperwork it's it's all pretty sweet there
0: Yeah. And plus, you know, worst case scenario you get, they say, hey, I know Lynn Gilmartin. She's going to let me in. Right. So it's (laughs) It's worth a lot of
1: cash down there. You don't even
0: know. She's just getting bigger all the time. That's it. And of course, got to point out, she was also uh, a former, a past guest here on the Cards Chat podcast. I think that was episode number seven. You guys can check that out. Um, In that sort of same region of the world, I know you also spent a lot of time in Asia uh, back in the day. Did you ever participate sort of in the high roller scene there? Were you witness to it or aware of it?
1: Not the caliber of high roller scene that has made, you know, myths of guys like Tom Dwan or anybody that's gone over there and played for the insane nosebleeds. Like, you know, the highest stakes tournament that I I did play a lot of the early poker tournaments in uh, Macau and in China, like basically Uh for the... For the earliest legal poker tournaments in right. China, like I, I think I might have been at the like the original one in Macau or something, in mm-hmm. like oh god, oh Stefan, something like that. Wow. And uh, I played a lot of the stars. I believe it was the APT. No, no, they weren't APT. They were a- AAT. APT. I believe. Right. Yeah. And they built up quite a schedule within the region for a while, but I believe also, and I I haven't looked into it in a while, you know, but I believe we're kind of here and there running into regulatory issues in various countries. Like, not every country in Asia has completely opened up its doors to gambling, casinos, poker tournaments, things like that. And so I believe that as they went through, the process of having this tour over the years, I, I think they were kind of. I believe this happened to numerous poker tours in Asia. They hit a variety of regulatory spots.
0: Sure, I know you guys uh, WPT did one in Japan recently. I know you'd been yeah. to was it Vietnam? I think. Uh, I think it was Vietnam or Cambodia. Vietnam, Cambodia, Cambodia. You, yeah, Cambodia yeah. Right. you guys did a lot of stuff over
1: that. It's pretty cool. I've uh, done WPT in Korea.
0: Wow, oh, nice. Yeah, that was
1: really cool. We were on like their honeymoon
0: island in Jeju. Oh, wow. That, sound, yeah. that sounds dreamy. <laughs> awesome. What was what, what was your favorite thing to do in Jeju besides uh, play poker?
1: <laughs> Bro, they had this... All right. Let me <laughs> think if I should have this right. But this is true. So Jeju is like their honeymoon island, right? And for whatever reason, they have like a... A theme park's not quite the right word. It's like a statue park. Okay. Uh, uh, it's like dedicated to sex and sexual positions. And wow. it's like... I, I know uh, it sounds really random and the park itself is totally random. It looks like some how to put it, I, I don't know. It looks like if the Disney people were like, yes, yeah, so now we will create a sex park or something and it would just be a <laughs> like, wacky assembly of statues in various positions. But this is a real thing that they, and like we were there in winter too, so some of the more like it's kind of a summer themed island for the most part. A lot of it was shut down, but like yeah. one day we just went to the park and took pictures there, and it was just as wacky as it sounds.
0: That's um, It sounds like a really interesting experience, and I guess uh, giving at least one more reason for folks to to visit Jeju someday. Um, Of course, you know, okay, let's go back to Australia, a little bit south of the equator. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about that a little bit. Of course, it's one of the places where you've experienced tremendous success uh, on the felt. You finished runner-up in the Aussie Millions main event, I think it was, I got here, 2016. Yeah. But if I recall correctly, there's an amazing story that that almost didn't happen. And I've heard the story before. I'm a little rusty on the details. Maybe you can share that uh, with uh, with us here at Cards Chat. Sure. So I guess the the full story is that leading up to that event for about a year, year and
1: a half leading up to that event, I had been having a really bad time in poker in terms of my own results mm-hmm. and my focus within the game. And I had kind of shifted a ton of my attention to playing daily fantasy sports. And so whenever I went and like play poker, I find myself easily frustrated, not enjoying it, not really wanting to be there. Um, and just kind of running bad too. Uh, and so I went down to the Aussie Millions for the first time in a, in a few years and uh, was kind of prioritizing just hanging out with people, you know, socializing, catching up with the people that I'd known when I used to live there. And I was in line to register the main event. I had two 5K chips in my pocket and uh, I knocked one of them out of my pocket. It just kind of like blended in with the carpet, went missing. They checked the cameras, couldn't find it. And I was, I was just so tilted right off the bat. I was like, before we even started the event, I just threw $5,000 in a trash can and I was only going to take half of this tournament to begin with. I'm like tilted out of my mind and just like don't even want to be playing poker to begin with. Like I'm done. And I just like walked out. Yeah. It's just like I'm, I really believe this, Robbie, that if you're not in the right mindset to play serious Mm -hmm. poker especially tournament poker that is a marathon and not a sprint like don't do it you just won't play well if you get into any of these tough decisions where you need to make like a discerning fold you probably just won't make it this it's really one of those things that i had to learn over time that like it's okay on the days that you just don't feel up to it to say no Like, you're not obligated unless you're already deep in the tournament so on this particular day I really felt like I was not going to be able to play well. I was just super tilted. I didn't enjoy poker in general and just left, left the casino to hell with it and went about my day and got pretty intoxicated that day, you know, like I was you know, not like I sat around and did nothing. Right. Um, and my friend Timex would, you know, Mike McDonald who had bought half of the action is like kind of texting me throughout the day being like hey you know this is like one of the best events of the entire year you should probably still play it while reg is open like if you're too tilted to even invest any of your own money in the event like i'll just free roll you and we can extrapolate the markup i was going to pay to the point where i would just be paying all of it and you would get returned out to be like 17 percent right. i'm like yeah yeah you know i'll think about it and like 9 p.m rolls around and <laughs> I'm just kind of like bored and half drunk and being like i'm gonna lose some of mike's money <laughs> i was like that offer's still open you know i'm gonna lose some of your money this is gonna be hilarious so i'm like went <laughs> back and played you know like hit a couple of hands and then you know the night's over and then you sleep off whatever mood you're in you wake right. up the next day and you're like oh, i feel a little better i'll go and try some play some decent poker you know and in the biggest pot i played that day i like chewed out of somebody for a pile of chips we both had big pairs. it's like okay this is kind of going somewhere like day three by then, you're just like into it. You're like, oh, right. okay, I've got enough chips in a big tournament that my mindset is completely reset. Now I should really be taking this thing seriously. But I will say that for the remainder of that tournament, whenever I found myself in a marginal spot where I was like, I could do the careful thing or I could do the crazy thing, <laughs> I thought, man, it's Mike's money. Let's do the crazy thing, right? <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did, and I just kept winning – my major pots. And you know, by the time we reached the final table, uh, myself and Ari Angle just had a huge percentage of the chips. I ended up finishing second after a very long heads-up match to Ari. Uh, you know, Mike got the bulk of the money, but I still one you know six figures basically right. trying to set my stack on fire in the, the Aussie <laughs> Millions main event so you know so unbelievable
0: there's a bittersweet ending there for you All right and i remember i remember that heads up and like just not that there were two camps because you know both you and Ari so beloved in the poker community and it's just like it's so cool to see you guys playing heads up and you know that story if anything it teaches us two very important things of course like you said you know guys you don't have to You know, if you're not feeling the right mindset, don't show up uh, to play. And the other one is, yeah, if you have a free roll from Mike McDonald, go ahead and set his money on fire or at least go ahead and and give it a shot. It's a great story. Um, Yeah, I love it. Um, I do want to talk actually one question before we get into your uh, commentary portion in the interview um, about backing. That's a subject that doesn't get talked about too much necessarily. Obviously, staking backing that's been going on for decades, and many of the most successful poker players, even uh, even to this very day, still have backing or, or staking deals in place. There are a lot of folks like myself, like members of the Cards Chat community, uh, recreational players. We enjoy a good one-two, maybe a two-five, uh, playing you know three-figure, maybe maybe you know a four-figure tournament. But we sometimes say to ourselves, you know. I'm good enough to play higher, maybe. Obviously, we're not, or maybe we are. <laughs> but I mean, like, I just want that chance once. I would like to, you know, give it a shot. But it's sometimes difficult to put, you know, the money together. You know, you're playing these low stakes and building it up and all that stuff. Would you recommend getting into uh, a staking or a backing deal as a way to sort of take those shots from time to time for recreational players? The honest answer is maybe. Um, for
1: some people I would, for some, I wouldn't, there's absolutely nothing wrong. It should be no stigma around taking on a backing deal. In many cases, it's a very responsible business decision, especially for the player, because the player is in many cases, essentially being free rolled. And it's like, Hey, you know, if you run good and you slam a tournament, then you're going to get a cut. Right. Um, backing starts to actually be kind of a worse proposition as you get further along in your professional career. And it's like, Hey, hopefully you are the one recouping most of the benefit of your working hours. So sure. hopefully you are able to fund your own play as a recreational player. Backing can provide you a nice safe Avenue towards taking shots in larger events. Uh, the reason I say maybe is that sometimes if backing agreements are not how to put it, discussed or negotiated with great detail and care and maybe create some kind of physical record of confirmation like a text exchange okay we're booked or this and that like right they have the potential to go wrong they have the mm-hmm. potential to create uh, a lot of friction in social relationships if it's like you know a friend or a peer that's going to be backing you um there there are just like ways that that you know Money and friendship can can go uh, awry, right. um, so just be mindful that like if you're going to get into a backing arrangement with somebody that you think this person has a very mature attitude towards gambling, which means they are professional about losing and watching you lose for a sustained period. Um, if we're talking about tournament backing, it's totally normal to watch a horse lose for months or years Absolutely. and it's pretty easy for a backer to start questioning whether this person is perhaps wasting their money and that can create a lot of friction. (laughs) So that's all I mean. I I would say on the whole, it's incredibly normal for people to either have some kind of backing deal in place, especially when they take shots at higher stakes, or to just like sell action here or there when a bigger tournament comes along and they want to take a shot at it. And I think that's a very important and healthy part of the poker
0: ecosystem. But when it comes to prolonged backing deals, make sure you get the details right. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much for really diving deep with the details there, because I know a lot of players, recreational players, you know, they don't necessarily know the ins and outs. They're not aware of the potential pitfalls. Uh, the idea, like you said, of getting some sort of a physical representation, even a, even a contract or a signed agreement of some sort. It's only good for both parties, almost kind of like a prenup in a way, you know, you're only protecting each other and you can protect relationships that way. So um, thank you very much for that very insightful and important answer, uh, you know, for those uh, more ambitious among us. Um, Let's shift gears a little bit, you gotta do that in poker, you always gotta shift gears uh, from Tony the player to Tony the commentator. Um, when you first started out with the WPT, you were hosting the Raw Deal segments, and of course you had, you've had. you now been with Vince Van Patten as co-commentators for I think about uh, three years now. Um, how did you begin working with the World Poker Tour at first? They did an open casting call
1: for the Raw Deal position back in 2010, and mm-hmm. so a couple hundred people tried out, uh, many of them in person at one of the WPT events in LA, some sent in tapes. In my case, I wasn't able to go to that WPT and uh, actually flew to LA to do more of like a private edition in their offices. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it, w- it was just one of those random things that kind of came up uh, suddenly. I had just moved back to the States after living in Australia. I wasn't really like, planning to launch a career. I thought maybe I would get a poker sponsorship um, right. you know but not really I wasn't planning to work in television or entertainment or anything like that but the opportunity came up and I thought oh cool This sounds like fun to at least go out for and mm-hmm. I could potentially be a good fit for that considering my experience in poker and
0: talking about it so I'm like hey let's just swim for it. Oh awesome I did it was such a it was, it's not even matter of fact but that's pretty cool you just you decided it could be interesting and oh, things worked out here we are a decade later that's pretty that's pretty nice. Um, right. Well, like you said, you never planned necessarily on being uh, you know, on, on television or anything like that, but you did study theater uh, at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Um, do you think perhaps like the fact that you studied theater, maybe you gained some skills that gave you an advantage maybe during the audition or gave you some sort of extra tools uh, that you've been using on camera for the last 10 years? Oh, a hundred percent. Like
1: most of studying theater means coming to class and playing either improv games or acting out scenes or doing creative writing, Um, all kinds of stuff that has been very relevant to my job with WPT uh, writing And performing those segments when I was doing the raw deal, just being able to keep the commentary flowing with Vince, um, even practicing your speaking voice for things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of training that became very applicable to working for the WPT. So uh, yeah, like I said, that was great that it ended up uh, working out that way. It just wasn't something I had really planned because I was enjoying playing for a living and... You know, especially when you're young, it's very easy to believe, like, this great train will just keep on on forever. Like, I'm sure <laughs> nothing bad will happen to online poker. I'm sure I
0: won't just suddenly disappear one night, you know, right. in some kind of Black Friday-esque event, you know. Right. Well, I guess you had that gig before Black Friday even kicked in. Like, that was already... Yeah, about six months before.
1: Oh, wow. You know? Goodness. And otherwise, I would been making a decision after Black Friday about, okay, you know, do I relocate from the United States? Do I move to Canada and Mexico like so many of my peers did? Do I take a completely different path in life from poker? Because it's not like I was completely killing it back then and a bunch of my money got locked up. So it was kind of like, Oh crap, you know, is this what I still do for a living? Um, but yeah, having the WPT there made it so that there was much stronger incentive to, push through that time in poker and make a, make a new way for it to work.
0: For sure. And I, and I gotta say, I just, you know, for the audience to realize this, you know, whether you're listening or whether you're watching, um, I've interviewed tons of poker players before, tons of people before in general. And it's not such a given that you get someone on the other end of the microphone like Tony Dunst, you know, you talked about having uh, a natural speaking voice and obviously you performed on camera, not, you know, being facetious or, you know, extra complimentary. It just really is the truth. It's an absolute pleasure to be speaking with you and you've given fantastic answers, speaking with poise very eloquently and, you know, eye contact, the whole deal. It's not, it's not such a given and, uh, you know, you make it look pretty easy. So more power to you, man. (laughs) Well, thanks, man.
1: Yeah. You know, after 10 years of the WPT, there's been plenty of practice and, uh, I feel super lucky to have landed in a place where so many of the things that I grew up enjoying, practicing, or found interesting mesh together, like Mm. getting to talk about poker and hang out with the fun people that I work with and then go play serious poker and every now and then try and play my way into one of our
0: uh, televised final tables is just, yeah, a great harmony for me. Awesome. Is there something that you could maybe pinpoint as something that you like, your favorite thing about working for and and with the, the World Poker Tour? My
1: favorite thing is the social balance it provides as opposed to playing for a living. Because when you play poker for a living, it's really easy to get into... Uh, an introverted or almost an antisocial rut, especially if you're playing online and just like hanging out, playing poker all the time, or even if you're going to the casino and playing tournaments, you're seeing other people. And don't get me wrong, you're talking on the table and everything, but it's not quite a natural social life. Whereas at right. work, there's so much of what we do is focused and centralized around hanging out with people, spending time together, doing collaborative things, um, and yeah, just just having that side of the coin available to me makes playing that much easier because it's not like, oh, here we are another day grinding at the table. It's right. kind of like this flipping back and forth between the two. So
0: working with the WPT provides a lot of balance to my life. Awesome. And of course, you know, just a, a great bunch of people have met, uh, Mo- I don't think all, but most of you guys, and you're just a, a wonderful bunch of people to work with. They talk about the WPT family. That's not just the name. That's the real deal. It's, uh, it's, it's the real thing. Um, uh, what's an you? Um, all right. So in poker, you know, when you're a professional poker player and you talked about it as well, you're always studying, you're always improving. In a sense, also that's with any job. The more you do it, the more you practice it, the better you get. What would you say... You know, in, in what way, perhaps, are you better now as a commentator, as an on camera personality, than when you first started out uh, ten years ago?
1: I like to think so, and it would be <laughs> hard, you know, not to be after so much practice and being, you know, refined by your producers, having conversations about what's landing and resonating with the audience and what's not, uh, learning more about presentations fields. For example, at one point when I was promoted to uh, the desk with Vince, the WPT hired media professionals to train me in you know, speaking engagements, things like that. So all of that practice just adds up over the years. Um, and I also think that you know, being another 10 years into my playing career... Not only am I more seasoned, mm. but I am more measured in the way I think and speak about the game. Like when I was 25, I had a young man's level of certainty. You know, I was mm. like, okay, well, this is the standard play, and this is what you've got to do, and that, and that, and that, and this, and that. And like, oh, what are you doing here? And now, older, I've come to think that in so many different situations in poker, and this is quite apparent if you even do like PIO study, look at machine learning, things like that, um, the strategy is mixed. And so there's always a lot of pretty viable reasons to make a play. There are of course some exceptions where it's just like, bro, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There are, there are still some absolutes, you know. But like There are so many situations in poker where The choice that you made, there are pretty viable reasons for why you could have done that or strategic reasons for why you could have done that. And so the the way that I speak about the game is, I think, a lot more measured than
0: when I started. I like that. That's an answer that resonates with me in a way. and Not that I'm doing the same thing you are, but again, I've been doing what I'm doing for a while. And I also look back sometimes, I say, okay, you know, back in my 20s, okay, I knew what I was doing, and I was obviously professional and mature and all these sorts of things, but now, you know, 38 years old, I look back and like, oh, I, I can do that a lot better now. Just like you said, with experience, you just have seen so much more that you can look at, look at it through um, a much more experienced uh, prism. Um, you you mentioned that you had media professionals come and train you. And obviously the the WP likes to promote, WPT, sorry, likes to promote from within. Of course, you know, we'd be remiss. We have to mention uh, the late Mike Sexton. Those are the shoes you had to fill. It's uh, not a simple thing. Um, And of course, no one asked you to fill Mike's shoes. Actually, you can't be Mike. He was himself and you've got to be Tony. I do wonder though, when he decided to sort of step away and move into more of the uh, party poker role, did he sort of give you like a, a pep talk or, or or something like that, or give you some tips or tricks? You know, because you obviously had been part of the WPT for a while. You guys had been close, so was there some sort of like a, a passing of the torch type of lesson that he gave you? I would say he gave me encouragement, but he was not the kind
1: of guy that told people how to like do their jobs or how to do their, you know, how to do their thing. He just kind of had uh, faith in the people around him that they knew, not, you know, not their place. They, they knew how to be in that, that role. He really trusted us as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a night at uh, tiger jam in WPT, you know, the WPT does every year. And, uh, yeah, we just kind of spoke a lot that night. That's when the news is kind of made official. Yeah. And, you know, he just really, like I said, provided a lot of encouragement and said, I'm sure you're going to do great in that role that you're going to take care of Vince for me, you know, keep an eye on him, that kind of thing. Um, and, and the cool thing was even though Mike stepped away in his official role, Uh, from the desk in WPT. He was very much around the WPT for the years that followed. that, playing a ton of our events. We've had various partnerships with Party Poker where he remained chairman uh, following his departure. And so in a lot of ways, it didn't feel like there was just this like sudden absence of this enormous personality. He was very much still there, but, you know, he was
0: not at the desk with Fitz. You know, he would drop down. Right. uh, I hear you. And, And, you know, like, with all of the tributes that poured in after Mike's passing, uh, I, I have to hear it again. I know I heard it before, maybe I'm even a little rusty on the details. When you first met Mike uh, way back in, I think the mid 2000s, uh, you yeah. were a little bit inebriated at a party, I believe. If you I, was, I was double fisting beers. I remember that
1: <laughs> detail. Um, and it, like I said, the first trip I ever went on was to Australia, it was to this event. Mike was working for Party Poker all the way back then. And um uh, you know, was functioning in much the same role as like the host welcomer of new players, you know ambassador to poker, same kind of thing, and they did a player's party uh and I had busted out of the event I went deepest in in kind of a like marginal spot where I just called off a bunch of chips on a, a huge draw or something, and I just you know i I was feeling terrible about it which is so odd to me now like i'm 20 years into my career and if i lose some big poker hand i'm like what are you gonna do you know i guess just, <laughs> oh, no. you know and like back then i was heartbroken i was you know like i was just aching and i was like oh mike sexton will know what to do and you know went up and accosted him with his hand history that was bordering on bad beat story and, you know he listened very
0: patiently getting his advice about the hand super nice the whole nine yards Unbelievable! That's that's great. I just I'm just picturing the scene. <laughs> it's just such a, a funny picture. And then kudos to him also. Like what he what everyone always spoke to. He was always always had time for everybody. You know whether they were just coming up and, and approaching him as a you know fellow professional and as a colleague in you know, his age or you know someone double fisting and clearly you know he created this. Yeah, you but, know. Yeah.
1: Um, what a big part of what I loved about Mike in that mm. role and as a person was how happy he was to see the next generations of poker picking up the game and evolving the game and things like that. There was definitely from, I would say, like the 03 to approaching 2010 era in Mm -hmm. poker commentary and poker media, there was at times a sort of dismissive tone towards the way the young players approached poker. Oh, these kids always going all in with their ace king, like they'll never get it. Whereas Mike always welcomed the next generation, always kind of like believed in us collectively, always figured like, well, they're just playing with computers all the time and figuring these things out. You know, they're going to be tough, you know, right. he
0: really he really saw the future super well. Awesome. Well, uh, that brings me very close to the end of my questions, but I do have a few rapid fire ones before we get into the community questions from uh, the cards chat members on the forum. So, uh, just a a little bit of a rapid fire here, uh, get some last few nuggets here before we get to the community questions. So, uh, our lightning round we got four little questions here. Tony, what is your favorite thing to spend money on? Uh, Appreciating essence. Ooh, good answer. Who are the friendliest players you've enjoyed sitting at the tables with?
1: My all-time number one is Lucky Chewy. Remains a good friend to this day. But um, Andrew you know, Lichtenberger, right? A super nice guy. Super nice guy. Very friendly guy on the table. Could can be serious, too, on the days that we we're playing a big event or something, but such a nice guy. Uh, and there's just a bunch of like good dudes that I always see and have really solid uh, conversations with. Around the poker community over the years, um, guys like you know Jeremy Smith, uh Matt Moore, um, just just yeah, I've just been I've been around forever, man. There's just way too many. Who are the friendliest ones? There's a whole there's you know the hell with the
0: poker player reputation. There's a whole bunch of nice ones. Beautiful, great answer. Um, you're a big sports fan, as you mentioned, uh, but for a long time, obviously during the the beginning stages of this pandemic, there were no sports being played, no sports uh, to watch. Did you watch and or bet on Marble Racing? No.
1: Mike <laughs> was talking that for a while. He was trying to get people into it. I think Hooker Shares was offering lines on it. Right. To me, it honestly seemed how to put it? Terrible. Like I don't it's just watching inanimate objects completely randomized, dropping down a thing. Like I, I don't know how to put it. It would be like <sighs> Just drawing a number out of the hat, here it
0: is, there it is, that's the contest decided. You know, like. But they're so good, the yellows marble racing, it's good, it's fun to watch. <laughs> I,
1: I, I feel like a hater, I don't want to be a hater if you okay. racing, you knock yourself out, it just seems like
0: redundant. Okay, uh, on a scale of 1 to 100, how excited are you that Las Vegas now has both an NHL and an NFL franchise? Pretty damn excited. Uh, I mean, I guess 100 would be like, I don't know,
1: if we somehow got the Packers. That doesn't make sense because I don't want them to leave Wisconsin either, but they're my team, so that's the only sure. way I could reach like 100 if we could fuse the two somehow. But, um, I think it's awesome that Vegas has an NHL and an NFL team. I would love to see the other major sports come here, particularly the NBA, because I just think when you see the energy and interest around Summer League here every, what is it, like late June, early July, it's hard not to think this city couldn't support an NBA team and I've just become a huge fan. Of the league and the sport of basketball, I just think that all of these major franchises coming to Vegas are going to be huge for the city, um, attracting people week after week. Uh, good for real estate prices, good for business, good for just a lot of different stuff. It's going to be great,
0: awesome. And uh, my last question here—it's uh, actually from my buddy Mike. So thanks a lot, Mike. Uh, when he heard I was interviewing you, he said, "Oh." Well, Tony's from Wisconsin, so you have to ask him Has he ever had cops, burgers, and custard? And if so, have you ever discussed that food with your fellow Wisconsinite and WPT team member, Phil Helmuth? I've never discussed it with Phil Helmuth, but I have had cops ice cream and it's really good. I
1: am unfortunately now, later in life, lactose intolerant and cannot enjoy it anymore. But back in the day when I was young and invincible, we would go for cops every time I was in um, Milwaukee with my family, and their ice cream is super good. I even remember very distinctively the way it like slowly comes out of these giant machines they have a churn out of. It's so damn good. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, if, if you're ever in Wisconsin, Robbie, you know the ice cream you should go for.
0: Awesome. And this episode is brought to you by cops. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Okay, so this is the segment of our show now. We turn to the Cards Chat community to see what questions you guys wanted to ask our guests, and the first community member is Shells. Thank you very much. Shells has been a a frequent contributor and and submitter of questions. Uh, Shells asks, Tony, given that you had studied theater before taking up a career in poker, tell us your most memorable theatrical performance on or off the felt.
1: Theatrical performance on or off the felt. We do a roast every year at the WGT and we're not allowed to like film it or put anything on social media so that people can really take the gloves off. (laughs) And the year that we roasted Phil Hellmuth, I think I was especially on point. (laughs) And so uh, I
0: cherish that memory. Beautiful. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And I've attended, I, t- I attended the Vince Van Patten roast and it is really a, a cool experience. That that's awesome. Um, our next, uh, question submitter for a member is belladonna Donna. Thank you. Uh, what do you do Tony to prepare for tournaments with huge fields? How do you counter the physical and mental fatigue that the long hours can bring?
1: The short answer is caffeine. I drink oh, coffee, okay. um, you know, and as far as what do I do for preparation, uh, it's more like a steady diet of studying instead of trying to load up at any one particular time or feeling nerves before a big tournament and be like, oh, no, I got to really be on it today. Like, right. I just put in my time during the week, you know, oftentimes I probably most weeks put in three to five hours of study spread out. Mostly I have a session during some weekdays where I, I watch videos or I, I, study my own hand histories. Um, sometimes I go to sleep watching, you know, poker training videos, things mm-hmm. like that. But it's instead of trying to like go crazy at any one particular time, it's just like, cool. I'm just going to always
0: keep up on it. I'm always going to stay moderately sharp. We'll be right. In. Right. That kind of dovetails. You kind of like semi answered this question from our next, uh, uh, community member, Coin USS, Coin Us, I guess. Uh, how much time do you spend per day or per week studying, and how many hours do you play per week? I would just sort of refine that a little based on your answer. Is that consistent, or does it sort of vary based on how much poke you're going to be playing, or like you're entering a big tournament or something? Yeah, that's a good addition to the question because
1: it varies depending on when I'm going to be playing a ton. If Mm. I'm playing a ton, then I actually want to complement my play with study so it feels like my mind is always primed for poker. Mm. Um, So take the series they ran this summer. I pretty much just like, you know, I said, I woke up, I got my exercise, and then I like ran solves for and I, you know forty five minutes thirty minutes did my salt and whatever my like set amount was for the day you know watch a training video or review my own session put about like ninety minutes in a day and then mm-hmm. play the session and so there was a much heavier dose of studying during these long playing times whereas if there's going to be a stretch where there's no major tournaments to play I don't feel like I need to be so dialed in I don't <laughs> feel like I need to know exactly what I'm doing in every little spot all the time
0: if sure. I'm not going to be applying. Sure. That's fair. It totally makes sense as well. Uh, You know, marathon runners also aren't just, you know, running the 30K uh, every single night for sure. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Um, CRS Talls, Chris Talls, I guess, uh, asks uh, two questions from this uh, forum contributor. What do you like to do better, Tony? Play poker or broadcast and commentate on poker? I get that question a lot, actually. And the...
1: Truth and not a total cop-out is that I really enjoy the balance of having both. Um, And it's been so long since I've only done one. Like, I've never only done commentary. And it's now been 10 plus years since I've only done poker. Um, And so I don't really know what that's like anymore. It's just become the the two uh, together at all times. And I really do like the balance that it provides because poker, when you go through losing streaks or... Just the various things that can be very frustrating about the game, it can be tough to try and push yourself day after day to get back in there and to look forward to it. It can, be some, it can be something that you sort of like casually dread when it's your obligation to play all the time. And I would think any job that you have to perform, if you have to do it all the time, it would gradually reach the same. And what makes me very lucky in the role that I have in the poker community is that the WPT it is a, you know, it's a decent sized position in terms of obligation, but it's not like a strict traditional nine to five, you know, sure. and that's going to do most of your working hours. It's something that I get to do that complements my playing for a living in a very natural way. And every now and then I just need to like take tournaments off or take time off from poker to prioritize work things or work events. And that's totally fine. And that just keeps a much better harmony in my life than just trying to do, I would guess, Trying to do one all the time, like I think sometimes you know, what if poker dried up and I was just a commentator? I'm like, oh crap. And then I think, well, what <laughs> if what if I got fired from my job and I decided mean, to play poker all the time? I'm like, ah, damn it, like ooh, I don't want to do that. Right. And so like. I know it's kind of a cop-out for both.
0: Oh, not very much not a cop-out. That's exactly what I was gonna say. It's not a cop-out because you really like you know, you explained your reasoning. Like when I was in grade school, they always said, Don't just give me the answer to the math problem, prove your work. And it it wasn't a cop-out at all. It's a good justification. Mm-hmm. Um also the second question from Crystals. Uh what was the most awkward thing you have ever seen at a WPT event? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> awkward um
1: justin young like tearing his acl or whatever the hell it was i didn't physically witness that one but it's right. an incredibly awkward and random event like he's like jumping up and down to celebrate right. nothing not doing anything terribly risky it would look like and right. just kind of like tears his acl and is now in physical pain to the rest of the oh. final table and nobody really knew what to make of it that was very (laughs) awkward the time that phil helmuth took a bad beat and then like curled up in the fetal position next to the table that was very awkward um the time that that dude got insanely drunk and then blew a 25 to 1 lead to olivier bousquet (laughs) you know he was just like oh man i got this locked up and he got wasted and then just do it pretty damn awkward right those
0: are three good answers. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, just two more questions before we wrap it up. Uh, we had a lot of questions submitted. We just chose uh, some of the, the more interesting ones from our, our community, uh, from Igro Kshash, I hope I pronounced that right, from our community member. Um, which live tournament are you planning? We're at the end of October now, just uh, so we're dating it here, uh, 2020. Which live tournament are you planning to participate in in the near future? I'm sorry, but the honest answer is I have no idea.
1: I hope Live Poker comes back. I hope that we as a country and we as a planet get a handle on this pandemic in such a way that makes it safe to resume all of our normal businesses and, you know, um, congregation in events like Live Poker tournaments. But right now, I, I don't know which casinos are ready to start launching Live Poker tournaments in the not-too-distant future, and so I just don't have a good answer to
0: Totally fair, get it, and uh, yeah. you know, and we wouldn't commit you to it, you know, <laughs> if you said uh, yeah. a particular yeah. one, all good. And our last community question comes from freddydr87, uh, and this sort of uh, harkens back to something that you said uh, earlier about uh, how you have more experience as a player and a commentator. Curious to hear your answer here. How do you feel or think when you are broadcasting and you're analyzing hand in progress, and you say, okay, this is an easy fold. Or you say, it would be hard for him to fold this hand. And then the player ends up doing exactly the opposite of what you said that they're more likely to do. How do you feel? How do I feel? If the play works out, I feel very impressed. And if the play (laughs) doesn't
1: work out, I'm like, I told you so.
0: Great answer. I love it. I love it. And that's, I guess, uh, love it is a description we can apply to this entire hour of conversation. Uh, Thank you everyone who sent in questions for Tony Dunstan. Just a friendly reminder to everyone out there in the cards chat community. We'd love to see you guys submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. And of course, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels. If you like the show. Tony, thank you again very, very much for joining me today. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at CardPlayerLife. Guys, have a wonderful day. Later, man. Take care. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.